This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Property Solopreneur. And this week, I'm talking to James Scott, soldier turned property developer. Now, I first met James, must be about 10 years ago, when he first started to work, well, shall we say dip his toe into property as a hands-off investor. And through me, he bought his first three properties in Stoke-on-Trent. But he got the bug. And when it came to come out of the army in 2018, he used all his skills and knowledge that he had gained from his very successful career in the army to set up a company in Bristol, a nearby city to where he was living, which allows him to do so many different things in property, both development-wise and through flipping and his favourite service accommodation. Hello, James, and welcome to this week's episode. Now, for those of you who've not met James before, can you just give us a brief introduction of who you are and why you do property? Yeah, uh, so hello. I was formerly army um, after about 2018. Uh, when I was in the army, I bought my first three and a third, because I shared it with my wife and my sister, properties. And um, having seen my father have uh, sort of one real you know, fruitful of success, um, I realised I had seen the power of property quite early. So I knew I was always going to get more heavily into property. I was just wasn't sure when. It wasn't until my wife, who's also in the army, was sent to Brunei for two years that I realised that was a good time to leave the army and go full-time into property. Uh, so come 2018, that's when I went full-time, focusing my efforts on Bristol. Yes, you did. And of course, that's quite sensible because being army, you're expected to move about a lot. But where you're actually based, which is on the Salisbury Plain, there isn't actually a lot of scope for anything except single lets, is there? Exactly. So I think if you're keen to get decent yields and also really add some variety to your to your portfolio and therefore some robustness, um, you need to focus somewhere where there's a little bit more footfall uh, rather than the um, you know, God's rural country. And so I, I basically sent myself to Bristol, which seat, which is a good southwest city. In my opinion, it's probably the best city in the country. I'm sure there'll be some disagreements. Um, and therefore, <laughs> and so it seems clearly like the logical place to go. Yes, and that's partly because, of course, Bristol is very much where London money comes out from and, and builds. It's a city, but it's actually incredibly diverse. So there are pockets of all sorts of amazingness, frankly, in Bristol, for those of you who've not been, which allows you to pick and choose where you're going to do various types of property. And we're talking today because you're very much a solopreneur, but you have focused on one of the more difficult aspects, which is service accommodation. Now, you may not think it's difficult, but others view it as Oh, insurmountable, because there are so many moving parts, aren't there? Yes, yes, there, there really are. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first property that you bought for service accommodation? Because I do remember it, it took a very, very long time <laughs> to actually get going because you kept, I mean, talk about making your life difficult. You kept popping over to Brunei and then coming back again. So talk us through that build. Well, that was me getting the balance between uh, marriage, sustainment, and also um, property movements, you know, 
potentially just right. And so it got to the stage where, while Lucy was away, that I was going to Brunei, you know, six weeks on, six weeks off. So I'd come back from six weeks over in Brunei, come back to my property, which was my, basically my debut project, which I was, you know, for one that I was really overseeing and managing myself. And I'd have to go, you know, go back out to the city, get all the tradesmen back in who had gone off and um, descend into the other projects and get them moving again. So if I was back for six weeks, that might take two weeks to get things fully back into swing. And then for, you know, another two weeks them to get things going. And then suddenly I need to start getting more materials for the next phase. So it's a real on-off project. Um, but it was quite a, it was quite a big project for a, for this was the first one you'd done yourself, wasn't it? Because you'd got lots of other you know other properties under your belt which were all single lets, but this one you had to pull together. I seem to remember it had even a tree growing out of its roof, didn't it? It was. It was a standard. It basically, was you know, the actual property. It was a standard endoterrace two bedroom house. But what I did was to try and get a decent discount when I was phoning around the estate agents. I was saying, "Show me your most honking, horrendous properties in need of real mar- with, you know, with real margin." <laughs> um, so. Okay, this chap, this chap called Jack said, I've got just the one for you, sir. So, so it took me over. I realized um, it really was horrendous and you know, half swallowed my words, my pride. Um, but then I decided that actually, if I can get it for a decent price, then the margins there, I can just make it work. And there was some kind of male arrogance that I had at the time where I seemed, you know, I can manage anything. So, so clearly I got that house. And then my plan for it was to do everything destructive myself. Anything and everything constructive would go out to the capable people because because my, my large hand, small map style mentality wouldn't have been one to really deliver, you know, a, a quality product. No, but also the fact is that it's at that point you realise this that those of us who've been in property a long time appear to make it look very easy <laughs> because things were constantly cropping up that you weren't expecting or somebody would do something that you, you, you because you've been in the army for so long, you just go, but that was their job. Mm. Why didn't they deliver? <laughs> very frustrating. Whereas we'd go, yeah, you know, their job, your responsibility. Yeah. Oversee it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're managing yourself, because if you've got traders who you're getting used to, they are not fully loyal to you yet either. And if the other trainers and other trades come in to do the bit after, people will naturally think, well, that's their job, or there's that, or that's their job. So trying to tie these, you know, these jobs together was the real was one of the real challenges, as well as coming across new things, new problems, which I didn't expect. And then running off, learning about them, as you said in previous um, podcasts, you know, the unknown unknowns. Oh. <laughs> which just present themselves at the last minute. They, they- they do, don't they? Absolutely. So this was an end of terraced house in St. Warburg's, was it? In St. Warburg's in Bristol, Warburg's. yes. Absolutely amazing location. You couldn't have got it in a better place. There's the community cafe, which is amazing around the corner. And there it was with the tree growing out. How much did you buy for it for? So I bought the house for £243,770. I was keen to, I was keen that the uh, that the seller knew I was, you know, really, or got the idea that I was really putting in every single amount that I could, carefully calculated, so they wouldn't try <laughs> to push me to go higher. Hence my down to the £10, you know, £10 movements, increments. Absolutely. And this was a house that the the previous owner had, had been old, hadn't they? And they'd lived on the ground floor only. Yes. So ground floor only. I think they'd try to turn the top into a flat, but um, it hadn't gone particularly it didn't look a particularly perfect professional job first off the you know the, the first bedroom was a trampoline basically the, the floorboards were so springy and uh, there was there was a lot of mold it, it was almost like an alien life form just over, just taking over the back bathroom various things falling through but the only thing that was really sort of in order was surprisingly it was structurally okay and the roof didn't need much work on either which is a surprise but everything inside was like a and that yeah that you see yeah that is such a lesson to people who've not done it before, is that you had the house there that was clearly 
never going to sell on the books because it was so bad. But actually, structurally, nothing really wrong, which is what you want. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is nice. If you've had, had a house with no structural issues and the roof is fine, and the roof isn't a bad thing to fix either, then actually it's really just dealing with the insides and gutting it out. There's nothing really lethal, unless, of course, you're making structural alterations, which I was. Um, you were, and you were turning a two-bedroom house into what? Well, originally, so I went to this project with my eyes open. So I thought, right, plan A, this would be a flip. I want to make cash quickly. I say quickly, as you said, it took nearly a year. Um, but that's what you mentioned. Um, so the plan was, you know, I'll do a flip and, uh, and and we'll see how it goes. But then as I went on with it, people kept saying to me, you know, this is a really good area. Clearly, I was new to Bristol at the time. This is my first project. So, I, you know, I, I did a bit more research and got to know the area. I thought, I'm actually rather enjoying this. And I do quite like the area. The local restaurant, you knew by name, which I haven't told Lucy yet, because I was spending a lot of the money that she was helping me out with. And um, Yeah, I'd forgotten that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and also the, the community cafe, um, up the, you know, the community centre cafe up the road knew me very well too. So I got to really like the area. And uh, it, was, um, it was my mentor at the time who came along and said, uh, why not? Why haven't you thought about SA service accommodation? By that point, you know, I was only really interested in flipping and potentially buy to let because I just like the idea of having a portfolio and then going hands off, not having to do anything to keep it running. I want to keep my my decks clear to focus on the big stuff. But when she mentioned it, I thought, well, not a bad idea. I gave her lips. So I was thinking, yeah, okay, and yeah, I probably won't. And then when I got around to it, I started warming the idea, started doing some comparables against the local service accommodation and Airbnb units, and realised actually there was some some potential here. Uh, the three-bed, three-bathroom seems to be making more money, but I kept to a two-bed, two-bathroom in order to keep it as a house, which is more sellable to a family. And, it, and But it started going that way. And when I tried it out, it worked. And then the rest, the rest is becoming history. It has. And you have made uh, subsequent alterations because I know you had a sort of a very nice utility room at one point down on the ground floor now that's gone and that's become another bathroom or something hasn't it yes so that was um that was marginally painful having to you know having spent maybe what proportion of the funds might have been about two thousand pounds in that utility room having to rip it out again and turn it into a bathroom the idea was I realized it was I didn't want to do that straight away because I wanted to make sure it worked as service accommodation before I really committed the house to being strictly an SA unit and potentially devaluing it to a family who might want the additional reception room and utility room. Um, but once I knew it was working and realised that three best three baths would really almost double the income, that's when I committed to turning that into a shower room. So that was about a year later, um, during one of the lockdowns, that I made that change. Absolutely. So, so we've got the house. How much did you actually spend on the refurb? Uh, refurb was costs were on average about fifty thousand pounds, right? Which brought the total um, cost to about three hundred three thousand pounds, seven hundred seventy, even include the um, ten thousand pounds stamp duty on. And, and did you then get it remortgaged, or did you? pay yourself down how did you then fund yourself going forward from that so i was in a good i was in a good position where i was able to buy it with cash right and then come towards the end of it I, I remortgaged it and got that money out to go into some flips to generate more cash which i could subsequently and now park into the next um project to keep absolutely and i do remember you were very good at you knew your your shortcomings so i remember that you got somebody else in to do the color schemes and things like that didn't you, you <laughs> You know what, where your zone of genius is and isn't, and you're not worried about getting somebody else in to do odd bits and pieces, are you? No, not, not at all. Um, I think you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. I'm certainly not the kind of guy who you can do too long at a desk. I'm certainly not a man with taste either. So I brought a good friend, Tina Collins, to come along and give me some advice on interior design. 
And um, so far, I've never had a review. I've had a few negatives, but never a review, a review that really insults the design. They all love the interior. So I think that was a good choice, um, you know, uh, consulting. Oh, set you, it set you up very well because you now know exactly what you're going to do. And what is the difference? Uh, you know, what kind of return per week, per month, per year do you get on a property? Bearing in mind, it started off as a two-bed house, which, you know, could own, that must have a ceiling. And what do you get now? So it, it's quite profitable, isn't it? It is. And bear in mind, there are increased overheads as you move to the service accommodation yes. area. Yes, yeah. Um, it, does, it, does, it does pay if you can you know, make the systems work. So had that house remained at two beds and just been a normal buy-to-let to a family to live for the long term, um, it would have been around £1,300 per calendar month. That was in 2019. Yeah. When I put it on the market as a service accommodation unit, it was almost double that. So £2,500 for a two-bed and two-bath and property. Since changing it to a three-bed, three-bath, it's been on average about £4,500 per month. So almost doubled again just for the additional bathroom and bedroom. Yes, that's quite sizable. That's more of a supply versus demand thing. So it's really committed to being just an Airbnb. It wouldn't really serve as a family home now. But as it is, it's a three-bed, three-bath. It um, performs very well on that front. Yeah, what are, I was going to say, what are your overheads? Overheads are around 50 to 60% of it all. So in, that, in, terms, in terms of what I actually get in terms of money at the end of it, it's around 2000 to £2,500 profit in the company. And do you run it yourself? No. So over, including that overheads is the management fee. So I, I ran it myself for the first year to get a good understanding of how the systems work to, um, and, uh, and and to, find, to see what it's like to manage the guests, et cetera. Because once I've got a decent, substantial portfolio and I've got the time to commit you know, and, and the income from what I'm currently paying commission can justify the time spent to run the whole portfolio, I'd like to do that and potentially hand it to somebody in-house. But at the moment, I, I uh, once I've done it for a year and got the hang of it, I push it out to um, outsource it to a uh, to a management company who are doing a good job of it at the moment. Because it can be quite labour intensive, can't it? Uh, because you've got yes. to yes, you've got to keep it absolutely spotless and all that laundry going through. A, a lot of laundry. So running around making the laundries on time, you could potentially systemize it, but then you've still got a lot of more people to manage. So there's three main pillars you've got to um, really keep keep a grip of, and maybe a maintenance on top of that as well. First one is, as you say, laundry and linen. Second one is dealing with the guests, and third one is managing the cleaners. And I suppose in terms of time, it, each one of those consumes, that's ascending order. So dealing with a guest is fairly reasonable. You get a few cocky types who will try their, try their luck and have a few complaints. <laughs> but the real nightmare is basically trying to keep the cleaners to standard. They'll come in, do a typical clean job, but actually for service accommodation where everyone in today's world expects very high standards, you need to go and check that almost monthly to every week to month to every month, depending on your situation with the cleaners, to make sure they are doing the job properly because the standards will slip if they can. And then you get a bad review and it's all over, isn't it? Game over. One bad review just gets me sweating slightly. It's, it's, it's <laughs> enormously frustrating because you know that's at the top of the review pile. Luckily, there's so many bookings coming in. People come in and usually drown that. And I haven't really, I've only had, really had one bad review I didn't like and that was three stars. But luckily, there are about three or four people who came in, you know, just in the next two weeks who basically drowned that quickly. And um, the three stars were, I think, a tad unreasonable. Although I addressed oh. it anyway. Absolutely. But the interesting thing is, is that you've got, you you took the plunge and you put that third bedroom and third bathroom in. But actually, you now know it's not going to be that expensive to reverse that if you then decide that this is not for you in the future and you want to sell it out. So you've made a very 
careful decision and you now know the cost, it's very easy to run forward. You've obviously enjoying that experience. Are you going to do it again? I'm doing it to get the moment. So keen to keep a variety. I'm currently working on a property in St. George. This right. one is a bit further out, so not quite got this closer town appeal. But again, on the um, demand versus supply or supply versus demand front, this is a five bed and then four and a half bathroom. The half bathroom being a loo. And so this one can accommodate more. And the plan B for this property, just in case there's a regulation change, will be as an HMO. So I'm keen to keep variety to make sure I've got a fairly robust system. And that was one of the things I was interested in. Why didn't you just go down the HMO route straight away? The HMO looks like a good profitable route. And um, I suppose the same reason I wasn't originally going to go down the SA route, I felt that would potentially be too much managing. I want to keep things very clear cut and clean and just forget things once I'm done, collect my cash and move on. Um, (laughs) Having seen the SA work, the service accommodation route work, I'm now quite enjoying it. Plus, I do like delivering things to a high quality. If you're just flipping properties, then it's not sensible to do everything to the heart of quality. Just do it to a good quality where you are giving a decent product to the next person. But if it's service accommodation, in some ways that's an excuse to get a bit carried away with the design. Okay, you this is, isn't it? Yeah. Money at the problem, but you can invest a bit more to do a house that you want, that you would like to live in, a house that you'd like to see, you can imagine yourself in. I do like investing that kind of time into a property. So for that reason, I enjoy doing service accommodation. And then in terms of the HMO option, I did consider it. But now that I'm doing SA, I'll primarily focus on that one because I think there's more money to to be made for it if you've got the imagination to put together an enjoyable house. And in Bristol, are there any constraints on this? Because I know you have to license an HMO. With SA, does it come under the same umbrella at the moment? Not yet. Not yet. I say not yet because I expect it will, which is why I'm trying to really have a plan B for every house I do. Or I am yes. the every house I do. Uh, for Absolutely. example, in London, you've got a nice day rule. In Edinburgh, they're talking about implementing it quite soon. And I think it's only a matter of time before it, there are enough complaints from neighbours of the people who don't do it properly to the point where the council will start making changes. So that's why, for example, this house I'm doing at the moment has a backup plan of being an HMO. The other house has the backup plan of just simply being sold as in a very good location or being let to a family. Um, and so on. So that's why I'm always for a plan B, because of the regulation risk. It has to be accepted. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've been in this over 20 years and I can't tell you the number of regulations I've ch- I've seen change. Just when you think you've got life all sorted, somebody, you know, in government goes, oh, they're making far too much money. Let's change all the rules. <laughs> so absolutely. Now, you're presumably you're still sourcing because I know you have now teamed up with a partner business partner and you have both got your own portfolios and then you've got a joint one a joint company so what do you look for when you're sourcing all these different types of buildings well yes just to, 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 to add a little light onto that one so as you say my 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 service accommodation portfolio is my build-up of houses in my holding company which is private yep and then as you say i'm flipping to get the money for that portfolio i have two main avenues one is to find investors uh, which I enjoy. And the other one is to flip properties to build up the cash that I actually own. So I've got a good cushion underneath the investor funds. And that's what, as you say, what I'm doing in MJ with Emily. And so in terms of the properties we look for, well, we quite enjoy it. So we're not really the typical cookie cutter types because things move so quickly in Bristol that if you do find a cookie cutter option, your people fill up quickly. For example, we converted a shop in 2020. We got it for a very good price at auction. But thereafter, people were streaming in to find these commercial conversion opportunities and the margin wasn't too taken away. So we like to have 
uh, we like to cover a number of bases for the properties we go for. So we mm. tend to, our bed and butter tends to be typical residential refurbishments. We are looking to do more um, commercial conversions, but really anything with decent margin with a plan B option, should we not be able to assess the price we want, is what we seek. And of course, that, that, that does mean you're going to have to do an awful lot of viewings and an awful lot of number crunching, aren't you? Yes, there is a lot of that. Um, and so we're <laughs> lucky we've got a virtual assistant now helping us um, because um, for both of us, it's not really our most, um, it's not our preferred cup of tea doing the number crunching. Sometimes I do enjoy maybe a day or a week at the computer and then the odd evening or, or morning, but I'm certainly more one to be on site or out on the ground. And uh, same goes for Emily. I was having a virtual assistant, having trained, gone through the pain of training this uh, virtual assistant, who was actually very clever, thankfully, has uh, really made our lives a lot easier. So they can do all the figures. We just see a property, we wing at her, she does the figures, and then we think, yes, and we check a few bits of it to make sure, and then we'll decide, yes or no, we're going to buy it. So it's revolutionised the systemized process. I should think it has, and that is a good use of other people's time, isn't it, as a solopreneur, because we don't want to be doing absolutely everything, but nor do we want to have somebody always coming into work at nine o'clock in the morning, you're having to feed them with something to do like a little baby bird. So, you know, you can turn your sourcing business on and off as you need to find it. And at the moment, you're both sourcing like mad because you've got three arms waiting for new projects. But at the moment, you've got two or is it three on the go projects? If you were to say between us, it would be four. Ah. So Emma's going to deal with two flats in her own business. Yep. She's now looking for a new one to do for Emja. And I'm currently doing another for Emja. And then there's my one I'm doing in, in high stone property. Um, so yes. more than what she's looking for, two flats plus two houses. So you've got a four we're enjoying at the moment. So that keeps you all very busy. Now, you know, that could lead to butterfly mind, couldn't it? Fluttering from one place to another, never quite doing anything in particular. And you get to the end of the year and not a lot's happened. But you do have a plan, don't you? We do have a plan. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> would, you, I mean, would you like to hear the basic plan? <laughs> Oh, anything you wish to share with us, please do. <laughs> <laughs> well, in MG, we aim to flip five a year. Uh, however, we will put, we will potentially allow that figure to trim down uh, if we find a particularly good or fruity or lucrative or large project. And then uh, in my in, in Highstone, I aim to do, I aim to flip um, or I aim to acquire one house a year, and that's and that that's a current state, and that will clearly pick up the pace or um, you know, speed up as a. As, as time moves on. And, and that, for those people who go, what, only you're going to have one new building a year? This is your full-time job. You have actually been owning property for, what, nearly 10 years now? Yes, I suppose so, actually. Having yeah. been the first one in 2012 whilst in the army. Thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dear listener, <laughs> I, bought, I, I sourced it for him. <laughs> in fact, several. Uh, but that's the thing, is that you, you're not starting from nothing. You are adding very regularly to a portfolio that is growing both in value and in income that it's generating. And you're also making sure that financially it pays itself down and it is totally secure no matter what happens in the outside market. Because you did mention earlier that you are very aware of what the government can do and you don't want them to stop your fun, do you? Absolutely not. No, I'd be very <laughs> upset if I... I said, simply, I just do not want to overexert or financially overstretch myself too much when some clang of a regulation change or some situation which is out of our control comes in, just topples everything. Otherwise, that'd be a waste of 10 years, as you say. Um, Absolutely. So, so, so we progress cautiously. That's why we're doing five projects and not much more in Emja, and sometimes less, and the same for you know, my one property a year in Highstone. Well, that will become two or three very quickly, possibly from next year. Absolutely. But you see... 
it, that still sounds very little to some people, but actually you've completely replaced your salary. You know, your um, equity is growing. Everything is coming along very nicely. So there's no need just to completely bust a gut and go for broke when you can build sustainably and very carefully with your building blocks. So if you know that and you've got your plan, how do you keep yourself going and you know doing all the right things at the right time? Do you organise your time well, what do you do? So clearly, we all have our weakness and our strengths. In terms of organising my time, I have a system how I do each week. So Wednesdays are typically my work from home days. It allows me to go to Bristol twice a week, stay the night, two nights there a week, come back on a Wednesday, get through my computer stuff. That means people are paid on time. I can force myself being away from Bristol to go through emails that I may not have looked at and also to deal with urgent matters or go through the sourcing things, which is less interesting for me. And then when I'm in Bristol, I can juggle that quite happily. One thing I have to keep a focus on and keep a grip on from a discipline point of view is to make sure we are looking ahead for the next project and lining up future investors by keeping investor days going whilst working hard on projects. It's very easy to get stuck up, caught up in a project and also address, address the, any queries from uh, listeners who may not think it's very many properties to do at once. I'd argue that turning a five-bed house into a good, or a three-bed house into a good five-bed, five-bathroom service accommodation does take a lot of time and mind power if you're going to do it properly. I like to have variation in each one. And so when it comes to design and so on, I put a lot of time to make sure I do not have to go back to that house in the future because I might not have done, not have done something properly. So I like to make sure all the pipes, all the waste pipes, everything is all a very simple system with, yes, for example, maintenance hatches to get to all of them. And it's also very well EPC'd up for the future, not just for today. No, you, you're very keen on your green stuff, aren't you? And I think some people in our accountability calls that you have with me were quite shocked at the <laughs> fact that you are so forward thinking about how your tenants you know, in some areas will need to pay their bills, but make you a profit and how you've got to keep your bills down on SA and HMOs. And this will mean you do have to have different kinds of heating, water systems and everything else. And you've been researching them with, uh, dare I say it, great enthusiasm. <laughs> well, yeah, some parts I didn't really get, in, get into. For example, I, was very, I very nearly implemented IR heating for this one. Then I decided, actually, We've only got you know a limited a handful of houses in this portfolio. I might leave that risk till I've got more houses to balance any IR issues that you know any issues that IR heating might create in the future. Infrared heating for those who don't. Yeah, I was going to say infrared heating for those who don't know because that is so new and so exciting that most of us won't have come across it. But you are looking at electric and you are looking at air source pumps and all that sort of thing and solar. That sort of thing for the future. So at the moment, so I'm doing it incrementally. So I, I'm not going straight into going as green, at, you know, going fully green straight out. I'm, I'm, I'm building into it. The last house was just well insulated. This house now has eight solar panels going onto it. And I've mixed up the water heating. So I've got two cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two big cylinders because I'm go- I want to offer powerful showers um, for good reviews. But, um, <laughs> two, two cylinders, one of which is heated from the solar panels when they are delivering maximum energy or surplus energy um, to usage. And then the other one is heated from a gas. <clears throat> this was to um, basically um, sort of hedge my bets. Um, should gas go up or should, ele- or should electricity go up? I've got two options there. Thanks to Putin, he has well justified my, um, my, my, my installation of the solar panels and the electric um, cylinder. So there we can see a, a benefit from this already. And then also to maintain the inside of the house, because I think having to do regular refurbishments is also you know, very ungreen. I've got a good system that keeps everything dry. It's a central um, air vent system, a mechanical extraction vent, uh, which basically has 
six ports at the house and it's constantly sucking damp air out of the house while there's an input machine increasing the pressure so a positive input ventilator um so basically keep the house preserved if you like and that's because of course people who aren't living in the house full-time they couldn't care less if they make your walls damp by putting a soggy blanket or something on top of a radiator could they um yeah yeah. (laughs) there are schools for it and 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 actually the reason i've gone for the central mechanical um extraction vent was basically because of my current house the saint werberg's house everyone always turns off the extraction fan in the bathroom because it, oh, yes. it, it, they don't like sleeping with it on. It, it wakes them up if they go in there in the night. And because it's not their house, they think, I don't care if it gets damp, they'll turn it off. And what's even more annoying is that it has a macerator, which is my you know, my biggest Achilles heel in that house. I've got a spare oh, macerator yes. in the cupboard above it just in case that day happens when someone just starts to throw a bowling ball Maybe not a bowling ball. Uh, down, but down something through. <laughs> the macerator. So that is there ready for that, you know, for doomsday. Um, should, should I need to do a quick, you know, t- um, two-hour turnaround and fix that issue before the next guests? Um, but well, that's heater is why I've got the mechanical extraction fence. Well, that's very, very sensible. And I think you're one of the few I've ever interviewed or actually spoken to who have actually not only seen it in action, but then gone, I'm going to put one of those in my houses because <laughs> you know it does make a huge difference. You know, damp is a real problem with people renting your properties. And I love the idea that you're very careful about remembering that you've got to put in um, all those little uh, cupboards and access points so that you can do mending. And I know that you're, when unlike quite a lot of people who are renovating, you almost go to the length of a new build. You have your plans and you've got all the different services and different colours laid out from the start. So you you don't sort of get into a building and then go, oh, I think we'll have two double sockets over there. And oh, shall I have one with a USB point over here? No, that's, that is all planned in advance, isn't it? 100%. And to make sure I don't say, for example, do things towards the end that I that, you know, come to a point towards the end where I realise, damn, I didn't plan for that. And to make sure I can make the house look its best and be its most functional, I'll do it all up front. And um, typically to give, you know, to give a tip here, I'll just use floorplanet.com to, get, yes. to basically put down my idea and then I'll take it to the drawers and the structural engineers. They can do their more professional drawings and you know, do the calculations based on my ideas. So I can create, basically paint the picture for them to, to show them what I want. And also um, when it comes to plumbing and electrics, it makes it so much easier for the plumber and electrician to quote on. And therefore they're likely to you know, um, be willing to, to, to take a little bit of risk on reducing the quotes because they know what I'm after. And you could actually get a better like-for-like quote as well. Absolutely. Um, it, but it does also, I think, mean that you get teams who are willing to work with you again and again, don't you? Because they like how you work. Just like with the guests, I want to give the builders, the tradesmen, a positive experience. So, I don't have, so they'll always give me, they'll always be willing to come back and work for me at short notice and also give me decent prices. They won't try and bump up the price. Um, and I think if you've got a loyal team and you can be loyal, to, you can therefore be loyal to them. I don't have to waste too much time trying to find new people due to high dissatisfied tradesman turnover. Absolutely. And also because, of course, you you start your marketing as you come to the end of your build because you don't like voids. So you don't want a hugely long snagging session, do you? No, no, not at all. So I tend to be on site um, as much as possible um, or to visit the people as much as possible to basically spot these snags as we go. If you present too long a snag list at the end, then they'll go and just say, yes. keep your 10% <laughs> or keep your 15% or whatever. Um, so I like, to put, uh, I like to point these out as we go. And that does mean when we get to the ends, 
as we furnish the house, I can live in it for a bit and just spot those um, tiny things before it goes on, before it goes live. I think that's very wise. Most people don't bother to do that. But you you turn every switch on, press every button, sleep in every bed just to see how it all feels and works. Exactly. And that way I can spot these things and not my guests who will inform me in a very public review. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but just, you know, you I know you are planning some open days because you've got open sites at the moment that are working. And hopefully, you know, I, I might even be able to get over to one, although I'm on the other side of the country. And they're fun, aren't they? You get to show people who sometimes have never been on a building site what it's all about. Well, yes, uh, we never miss an opportunity for an open day. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, yes. so, as you say, when we've got when we've got a site, especially when it's down to, you know, especially back to brick, that's the best time to get people in. Um, yes, and, and so that is the time to basically show people what we're doing. And so, 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 so while these things are on, we try to maximise the investor days or the open days. We do, and it's not just for investors; it's for the interested as well. You know, people get the impression that if you get to go to look around someone's house, that you have to invest in them. That's not actually the case. Quite often. You want to show rabbits, friends and relations, so to speak, to quote a phrase, what it is you do. Because, of course, you you live very much in the close army con- um, sort of community. And, you know, a few years ago, you were trundling around Europe in your tank and suddenly you are Bob the Builder, which is completely different. And it's fun for your friends to be able to see what you really do and what you're doing now that you don't, in their eyes, have a job. You know, I remember when, as a wife of people used to wonder what I did all day. Well, I was building, I was building a portfolio. What do you, what did they think I was doing? So, you know, if you're listening to this and James gives you an opportunity to come and have a look at or ha- any of his houses, I would take it because it's a two way opportunity as well. Because sometimes when you're showing people around a site, they come up with an idea that you've never thought of because they're looking at it with fresh eyes. Did you find that? I certainly remember going to your first show day when um, you know you were on receive almost rather than send, weren't you? That's <laughs> good sort of baptism by far. It, while I still going through the mentoring process, having you and Susanna Cole stood in front of me, it wasn't really me showing off what I can do. It was you spotting all the flaws of what I might be doing and just making sure, as you said, you had well-naturedly checked I'd got everything right. So, 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 so enjoying my time in front of everyone, possibly sweating a bit under the collar. I was pleased to pass that interrogation and um, yeah, you could come out of that house intact. Um, Absolutely. Well, you did, a, you did a fantastic first one for, you, for your property journey. So what do you think has been the most, what do you like doing the most now you're a full-time property person? I think it's seeing a project progress. Um, Looking for a project, it's very nice once you've got one sold. You think, right, I found a pro- sorry, once you've got one, once you've got one, an offer accepted, you think, right, we're on. That's very satisfying. And then you go through the boring, miserable lull of trying to you know, just trudging through mud as you can make the comparison process go as quickly as possible, but still it goes at the normal pace. And then <laughs> and then doing the last minute stuff that, you know, for example, a bridge lender has told you two weeks ago, yes, that's everything. And then possibly two or three days before completion, they say, we need this, 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 and this that they haven't told you about and that stuff. So convincing, that's probably one of my least favourite parts of property. But that wasn't your question. That's my, you're asking me what I enjoy the most. Um, yes, so- <laughs> it's funny how everyone always features their negative first, though. It's always if that's what looms over it's the mind. a lot of legwork. You just want to get onto the project. Yeah, I think it's the case. Once you've done the planning, you've got all the builders together, you've got the tradesmen together, and you're seeing it all happening with, with limited input from you, apart from where it's necessary. That is enormously satisfying. Going- yes, you like, you're, you're very much the driver, the CEO. Yes, I do enjoy that. Maybe it's a slight vanity touch where I, you know, I'm a very tangible person 
I like to see it and see what I've done, see what I've influenced. Um, so, so that I really enjoy going at the end of the week and seeing what's happened, um, or going at the end of the week and thinking, huh, nothing like I thought might have been done. And then going back and the together. Um, Absolutely. And then well, selling is also a very satisfying point too. We had an accountability call a few weeks ago when everyone had either bought or sold that particular week. Um, and, you know, it's held on Zoom and yet you could feel the excitement and the buzz in the, in the room, so to speak, from everyone going, yes, I've got it over the line. It's so exciting. For those of you who'd actually got money in the bank rather than having just taken it out, um, you could hardly speak. You were all so excited. I imagine Zoom uh, yeah. were noticing their uh, computer infrastructure was vibrating, really heating up just due to the <laughs> amount of buzz there was in that particular meeting. Absolutely. In or China or- it is a very exciting um, industry to be working in. And thank you so much for taking the time today on a Wednesday when you normally just sit and do book work. Of course. To actually, <laughs> to absolutely, to actually record this. So thank you very much, James. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Super. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.